Welcome to the PDX Pet Connection Podcast. On today's episode, I have Barbette Falk of Street Savvy Dog Rescue. Stay tuned to hear how Street Savvy is helping dogs find their forever homes. Welcome to the PDX Pet Connection Podcast. If you are a Portland pet parent, then you have come to the right place. This podcast connects you to Portland-based pet businesses, services, and nonprofits. You get to hear their story and what they're doing in the Portland pet community. If you love this podcast and want to connect to other pet parents in the Portland area, head on over to our Facebook group and join in on the fun. And now, your host, dog photographer, donut connoisseur, whiskey lover, and Sherlock fan, Kim Hoschel. Welcome to the PDX Pet Connection Podcast. I have Barbette Falk of Street Savvy Dog Rescue. Welcome to the show, Barbette. Thank you, Kim. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So excited to talk to you today. Mm-hmm. So um, tell me a little bit about Street Savvy Dog Rescue. Oh, um, yes. Well, um, Street Savvy Dog Rescue was a, was a, a rescue that I came up with, uh, the name and I'm the founder. Um I trace it back to probably about February of 2014 or maybe a hair before that was when I came up with the whole thing and decided I'm a rescue now. <laughs> and, <laughs> but as you may or may not know, you can't instantly become a nonprofit rescue unless you have done all the legwork prior. Most of us just kind of start rescuing and learn along the way and, and then at some point we find out, oh, okay, this is how you become nonprofit. Oh, there's a lot of work involved here. I'm, I need a lawyer, and that's how I. <laughs> that's what I did. <laughs> so, what inspired you to start the rescue? Well, like many of us, I've always been an animal lover, of course, and always was a strong believer in, in rescue um, from the child from my childhood, really. But. Um, I guess in a nutshell, I, I kind of attribute it to uh, Facebook <laughs> uh, making making it more accessible for me to see shelter uh, shelters, you know, the actual animals in the shelter, and those shelter um, people operating the Facebook pages, um, you know, marketing the dogs and trying to find rescues and so forth for them. And so I started out in the California <laughs> rescue scene, um, I guess you call it. But um, And then I sort of realized after a while that there were so many, I felt there were so many people involved down there. And I'd really, it just seemed like it was sort of a, you know, once you're in the group, the inner workings of the group or the, you know, the cliques or whatever you want to call them. Uh, I just feel like I wasn't making much of an impact and I decided to look elsewhere where I else I could be of more help. And I began looking at uh, Texas shelters and um, primarily came upon the shelter in San Antonio, which is called San Antonio Pets Alive. And once I took a look at the shelter, I, I was quite astonished to see how many dogs and puppies were in the shelters on a daily basis 
well over a hundred at any given time were, were there. And it seemingly no one was helping them or very few people were helping them. So that's really why I started my rescue to focus on under, that underserved area of the country. And um, no one really was helping Texas dogs except maybe a couple of other fr rescue friends of mine that I'm aware of. Uh, it wasn't really happening much. So that, again, that goes back to late 2013, maybe mid, you know, somewhere in that, maybe mid 2013, I really started focusing on that area. So like, how does the process work? How, you know, how do you connect with the dogs and, and are they collecting the dogs off the streets? Is that how that rescue or that um, organization gets their dogs? Yes, I would say um, their, their dogs are acquired uh, either as strays, um, stray dogs that are wandering, you know, in the area, or they have been owner surrendered. And that is a very um, significant part of it there. People, um, you know, surrender their, their, their pets on a very frequent basis, I would say. It's quite, I would say more common than here, <laughs> certainly, hmm. at this point in time. And so, yeah. do, so you drive the dogs from Texas up, do they go straight to Oregon or do they make stops along the way? Um, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I began searching for ways of getting the dogs here. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, the world of transport has really exploded for good and bad, for the good and the bad, I would say. Um, there are very reputable transports, but, you know, there's, there aren't enough of them. So by trial and error, uh, I did start out with one gentleman who had a transport business and he had a very nice, um, a nice white transport, you know, cargo van. And you could see clearly that he was taking good care of the dogs on the way and, and seemed to understand dog behavior. So he was a, a person I started with. Uh, currently, I'm mostly working with two transport companies um, one of them has her own rescue in addition to that. And she and I have been working together for over four years now. And she's very rescue, pro-rescue, and does the best on pricing you know, possible for, for rescues. The other person is a private rescuer who I've also, I've known her longer <laughs> since San Antonio rescue days, um, probably going back to 2014 or 15 for her, uh, Kim, Hammock, also another Kim. Um, and she uh, is so dedicated and has really, she really impressed me. The last two transports she's been here, she really uh, has her act together now and has a system in place. And it takes them two days to drive straight here. They always have at least her, currently, I think it's her mother-in-law, I believe, um, is coming with her. And then the other transporter I have, uh, I use has a, an enormous trailer and uh, they have as many as uh, maybe two other, two or three other assistants that come with her and take turns sleeping and taking care of the animals and letting them off. So they do stop to let them go potty and potty breaks and water them and feed them and clean up, you know, cages a bit and uh, that sort of thing. Wow. That's quite the operation there. <laughs> yes, it is. It, so, it's yeah, not for the faint-hearted. I'll tell you that it's not easy. 
Oh, I bet. Because, I, I mean, that's a lot of work because you, you're having to maintain their health along the way. Right. So now what happens to the dogs once they arrive in Oregon? Well, um, you know, once they arrive here, uh, they either uh, go to uh, foster homes um, and uh, or they go to, I, I have developed a foster to adopt program. And so I've set that up in advance um, so that those folks can get a little bit of time with the dog or the puppy um, to make sure that they're going to be the right fit for one another. So depending on the age of the dog, um, you know, they can, it can be anywhere from a week that they've made a decision to um, three weeks, three or four weeks is, is fine as long as if they're an adult and we want to make sure we fully understand the dog. But right. because they've been in foster care first, we at least know something about them. So usually it doesn't take quite that long. Yeah, because at least you're aware of how they live in a household, you know, which is much different than how they react if they're in a cage, you know, at a traditional yeah. shelter. Exactly, yeah. So what kind of support do you offer your fosters? Um, well, um, I am, I'm a big believer in um, offering the fosters lots of uh, support in the way of um, uh, emotional support, informational support, um, and supplies, uh, medications, you know, crates, dog food, whatever they need, we provide it. Um, and so I've also adopted a, um, I'm doing Zoom um, foster support meetings once a month for fosters. I started about uh, three months ago or so. And I came up with that idea given <laughs> the nature of the pandemic and, it, you know, it's like, you know, now that I actually know how to, you know, do Zoom and everything, <laughs> why can't we do this? Yeah. <laughs> it's so much easier. Um, so, you know, it, it, we can just sit and I have a topic that, that I'll cover. Usually dog integration into the home is the first topic. And then we kind of go from there and see what questions the fosters have. Um, so now, when when the dogs come to you, have they like already been um, had medical exams and all that kind of stuff? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They've all been seen by a vet. Um, uh, virtually all of them have been altered, uh, spayed or neutered. The exception would be puppies that are too young. Uh, we don't, I don't believe in getting puppies fixed when they're three months. You know, I prefer them to be at least four or five months old um, for their long-term health. Yeah, um, for there's sure. some studies about that. So, um, and then, you know, so we we set that up with the with the adopter, and then um, we set up a, typically a spay and neuter uh, through Oregon Spay and Neuter Fund, um, and the adopters have the option to to access that or to use their own vet, and then. We, we get that done. They get it done at a later time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And are the dog, do you offer any sort of training or um, references to training for the dogs since probably a, several of them might have some behavior things from, <laughs> from trying to go from the street to home or. Right. Um, yeah. Again, I, 
you know, one of our main focuses in the rescue is I, I do have an educational background. And um, so I provide a list of um, approved force-free trainers to our uh, adopters or anyone else who would like to access it um, and to fosters. Um, and we will use people from the list uh, sometimes to do an extra assessment if I don't have time to do one myself. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously the rescue pays for that. That way we can get more information from another source and, and a, a game plan of a behavioral game plan for the foster that can then be passed along to the adopter. So, uh, yeah, I sort of do a lot of it, but I do, uh, the rescue does have a budget for that also. And uh, so we access funds from our budget. Um, currently, we just, you know, decided to have a $3,000 a year budget for that specific um, thing. Also, um, we may be offering training sessions to the public, free sessions, and that will also come out of that fund. Oh, so, wow, that'd be amazing. Working. Yeah, we're currently working, I'm working on uh, getting a monthly, uh, tr maybe not monthly, but maybe um, maybe a quarterly, you might have a, a trainer give a, a free um, training session to the public. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So um, what other short-term or long-term goals are you all looking at right now? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> rescue is basically day by day. You're sort of always on um, survival mode and you have to kind of fly by the seat of your pants because uh, it's just always changing. You know, you get a dog in and you think this dog um, has this going on. And then when they arrive, they may have, um, from stress of travel, they may have giardia and then we get, you know, supplies to the, to the foster. As far as our short-term goals, I would say we're always trying to like on a monthly basis, let's, let's save as many dogs as we can this month within our capabilities <laughs> and find the right people for them. Um, so I, you know, I see that happen a lot, um, and I've experienced it when you get in over your head a little bit, you realize, oh, especially when you first start, <laughs> mm -hmm. well, I can bring 15 dogs out and I've just been doing this for six months or whatever it was. Um, <laughs> somehow I pulled it off, but, you know, now as we grow the rescue and we develop um, our resources and our, uh, I, I consider our greatest resources are fosters as well as our adopters. Mm -hmm. Obviously funds are part of, important part of rescuing too, but um, you can't, this can't happen without the, without the volunteers. They're the, they're the, they're the, they're the wheels, you know, turning the whole thing. So um, they're very important people. And uh, so they help us give more information to the adopters too. And it's not easy to, to foster dogs. It's, it can be challenging. Yeah. Like how does somebody become a foster? Well, so they can go to our website, streetsavvydogrescue.org, and you can fill out an adoption application. Um, 
you can also, you know, feel free to message us on our Facebook rescue page. Um, and uh, we have a private Facebook page for those people who are involved with the rescue, whether they're volunteers, that can include people who can take dogs to vet appointments. You know, we are always looking for people like that. Um, you know, we all, most of us all work during the day. So we have volunteers who drive. We have uh, people who help. Transport night help is greatly needed all the time. Um, sometimes we have enough people and other times we don't. It's kind of a luck of the draw, but we always need people to help us get the dogs off of transport, you know, and uh, get them situated. And that, that's, it's exciting and stressful at the same time. Um, and then we have, you know, um, uh, people who maybe they short-term foster, you know, some people like to do weekend fostering. They like to be available as a week. Maybe they can do a week of fostering versus somebody who, you know, takes, takes the dog or puppy until they're adopted. So those kinds of people are, are really beneficial too. Um, I'm sorry, you said, so you wanted to know about the foster. Oh, so go to the website. <laughs> and then um, if you are interested in fostering to adopt, uh, my recommendation is just to put in an application, an adoption application. Then that gives us a lot more information that we can go on and um, <clears throat> match you to a potential fit. And I do keep applications on file. So what I recommend that people do, and many people are starting to, understand the process a bit better because of course every rescue does things differently is if you have put in an application and you see we put our I, I call them sneak previews of dogs upcoming dogs I put them up on our Instagram and our Facebook page that way they can see videos and see the dogs ahead of time that they might be interested in um, so they can go onto the Facebook messaging and message me and say, hey, I put an application, here's my email. Can, and then I can check their application and then see if any of these dogs would might be a fit. Or they yes. could do a foster to adopt. Yes, so um, when someone wants to adopt, like what's the process? Like they fill out an application and how are you matching the right dog to the right adopter? So for step one is apply. Step two is if I, uh, you know, the application seems like this could be a good adopter, you know, then I, I contact you and ask you to text me, set up an interview time. And then if everything goes well and we think, you know, that there will definitely would love to match you to a dog, um, we discuss which of the dogs might be the best fits for you. Sometimes people will apply for a certain dog or puppy. And then upon, you know, talking to them further, I discovered that there may be another dog, you know, that I think could be a better fit. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it's, a, it's really all about compatibility and not the size of the dog. Although, of course, if you're in an apartment and you have size limitations, of course, that's, that's to be expected. But, but I really try to remind people it's about the energy level of the dog and the compatibility for your lifestyle, not the size or the... I always say, please keep an open mind about dogs because, you know, um, you may have thought that you're really, really a lab person or a lab mix person, but maybe 
this other dog that's a mixed breed that we don't really know the the breed mix or we you know we don't know anything about the breed mix we call them texas specials by the way <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> um you know, th- that Texas special dog over there could be exactly the right dog you're looking for because you want a dog to go hiking with, but you want a dog who settles nicely at nighttime, um, can settle and is uh, just want, you just want a pet. You don't want a dog, you know, that's going to be an agility dog. You, you want uh, whatever, whatever the parameter parameters are, we usually have a dog, you know, for you. And then some dogs, you know, um, if you're, if family pets are always, you know, they can, they can be the most challenging dogs to, to pair, especially with multi-animal households that can get pretty complex. So we are very careful. And again, that's why the foster program is so invaluable because then the fosters will give us information if somebody with, you know, children has applied, you know, this, this puppy is just too bitey, too nippy at this stage until they learn. So this puppy probably is not going to be the best fit for family A, but um, will be a good fit for this young person who has lots of time for training and wants a puppy, um, you know, versus, uh, so again, it's, you know, I just caution people against thinking so much about breed Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in look at the character of the dog, yeah. look at the yeah. dog's needs. And then you will, if you, if you, you know, may, if the dog is happy, everybody will be happy. Yeah. That's my philosophy. Yeah, for sure. And it is difficult because people are gravitated by the look of certain breeds a lot of times and they really yes. don't understand the behaviors of that breed. Cause we get that with corgis a lot. Cause everybody's like, Oh, they must be a great lap dog. It's like, they can be, but they also need <laughs> a lot of exercise and a lot of attention yes. and they need things to do, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like people think they understand a breed. So that's, what's so great about you guys, because you're actually saying, no, wait a minute, let's, let's make sure that the dog will be happy and you'll be happy because you're going to mesh together despite yeah. whether, you know, it looks the way you think it's going to look, you know, it's like. <laughs> right. You just cannot uh, pinch, pigeonhole breeds either or because even, a, even a pure, as you know, even as a, a purebred dog, they, they're not necessarily, say, a corgi, for example. Maybe a cor- this corgi is not really going to have that herding instinct. And maybe they're a little more mellow of a corgi or a corgi mix. I have a corgi mix and she's mellow. But she's not suitable for children. <laughs> so, you know, there's just so many variables. That's, that's the beauty of rescuing, running a, a well-run rescue, of really being thorough about looking at all the, the stuff. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you, you don't want dogs being returned. You want this to be their forever home. Exactly. It, it's, too, it's too traumatic for the animal to, to be returned. It's really hard. Um, it it it's it's a lot of extra work for everyone. It's it's you know if we can avoid it at all possible. And I I am proud to say we have a very low return rate. Oh, that's great. So I know this is a strange COVID time, but um, <laughs> do you have any upcoming events that you would like to talk about? 
Uh, well, um, I don't currently have any any actual events. I'm sort of I'm a play it safe kind of person with regards to you know pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that uh, you know we are looking forward to doing adoption events again at PetSmart. Um, we we typically go to PetSmart in Beaverton, and we really enjoy it. Um, so that is in the near future. I think once more people become vaccinated and things start to feel a little more safe for, you know, more people in public in a building. Um, so, but we also do outdoor fundraisers and, um, right before, you know, COVID really hit, we had been invited to a, a, like an auto rally kind of an event, Okay. And so we were going to set up our tent and everything. And then, you know, we, know, we all know everything's yep. up. So um, we've had to be creative. And, you know, we've always offered people the opportunity to meet foster dogs at the foster's homes in an outdoor setting, you know, like in a backyard or maybe a nearby, nearby park or something. Um, but obviously that's how things have been conducted. And uh, so we didn't, I didn't want the, the pandemic to stop the rescue efforts. I wanted it to keep going in a safe way. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, and you could do that without events. Now for the teaching, are you going to be doing those um, online quarterly or do you think those are going to be more in-person events when we can get back to that? Mm. I think we'll start with online first and see how that goes. Um the problem always is finding a venue, a suitable venue, and not not trying to spend money. You know, we, we want to always be um, cautious about spending, extra spending. And um, so I think we would start out with Zoom, and that way we could invite, um, I think actually I just set up a, an, a Zoom rescue account so I can invite up to, I think it's 199 people or something like oh. that, whatever it is. So I think we'll just do that and then, you know, kind of take it from there and see what, what what the future holds. Mm-hmm. So I heard you said you had a Corgi mix. So tell yeah. me a little bit about the pets that you have in your home. Mm-hmm. Well, currently um, we have, my husband and I have five dogs. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a foster dog on top of that. So I have six dogs currently. Um, so um, I think I was inspired by some of the people in rescue in Texas who I know who have lots and lots of dogs or in or fosters. So I thought, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Um, we had agreed upon three dogs, but you know what happens. So, yeah. um, <laughs> so we have actually Piper, my little Corgi, um, Jack Russell mix is about six now or so. And I rescued her from Sapa when she was a puppy. She's the only puppy I've ever adopted. Wow. And um, she was about six months old, and she was um, very traumatized. I think she had been abused. I don't think it was just lack of socialization. I think she actually had been hit. So it took a year for her to gain more trust and get over her fears. And she's she's an incredible dog. She really is. Um, she's probably the smartest dog in the household, I think. that's That would be a pretty smart combination. Yes, yes, indeed. And um, so then my other dog, uh, one of my other dogs is Ruby, 
And you, some of you may have seen her on some of our videos as Piper and Ruby together socializing with uh, puppies and adolescent dogs in our, some of our promotional videos. And my two, those are my two incredible dogs that uh, uh, have a knack with working with dogs. And they tell me more about the dogs than I can, as a human, that I can ascertain. So, uh, yeah, they're, Ruby is a some sort of beagle, cattle, cattle dog, something or other mix. And uh, she is the most loving dog I've ever met. She's, I think she thinks she's a human. <laughs> so she sits in my lap and she wants to be hugged. I, it's remarkable. She's not your typical dog. Or maybe they, they want touching and affection, but not mm-hmm. like a, like a human. Yep. And, um, and then we have Tessa, who was who narrowly missed being euthanized in, in South Texas. And she's she's a beautiful shepherd mix, German shepherd mix. Uh, she had a litter of puppies and uh, in the shel- in the shelter. Oh wow. It's a sad story, but anyway, her puppies, her surviving puppies went to the East Coast to another rescue, I guess. And she came here. Long story short. We ended up keeping her. My husband shocked me and said he wanted to keep her. <laughs> she was she was also she became famous because she was she was missing for eight days when she got here right off of transport. So we found her using a live trap. So she she's kind of used up about three of her lives so far. If she were a cat. Yeah, no kidding. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, she's our biggest dog currently in She's, I don't know, she's probably about uh, maybe like four or something like that now. Um, we don't know our dog's birthdays. We just, you know, yeah. we don't care. <laughs> and then uh, we have um, Loki, who was actually rescued in Oregon. We found him as a stray, never found owners. He, and he was emaciated, a little Maltese mix. And then who was the last one? Oh, yeah, Bobo. So Bobo was he was a dog who we deemed really he was too really not placeable uh it's a little chihuahua mix i think he had been a street dog he was a little tough tough little guy he's right here with me hello bubba hello (laughs) and um he loves me i'm his human chihuahuas if you're familiar with they they have basically they're one person Mm -hmm. they have one human and he really he he tolerates other animals and other humans, but I'm kind of like his world. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and um, he's come a long way in two years. I've had him now two years, and uh, he was very fearfully aggressive. <laughs> Not funny, but it's I have to laugh because it was it was challenging. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I used positive training methods and redirections. We had very extreme resource guarding. Um, So basically I just had to figure out what he wanted more than that one object and find out what he liked, throw it in the other direction and then retrieve the other item. But, you know, he would bite, he bit us and he's still sensitive about being handled certain ways and he has to be medicated to do toenails and things like that. But, He's actually pretty easy overall now. It's just the 
the bathing and the toenails is uh, a little challenging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he, he, he's a good boy. Yeah. It's not his fault. You know, somebody just, he, I think he had been mistreated too. I definitely do. Yeah. And I'm sure being on the street that, that resource guarding has got to be pretty strong because that's how you survive. Exactly. So a DNA, a little, a little learned behavior. Yeah. yeah. Chihuahuas can, can be uh, a little feisty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yes. Yes, they are. It's always the small ones you got to worry about. Because they think yeah. the size of a Rottweiler. Yep. Yeah, there's some interesting cultural concepts about breeding too. Like, you know, certain cultures breed dogs to be have certain personalities and things. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, my my corgi, he'll he'll hurt anything. And we've never taught him. You know, both our corgis have had that hurting instinct, but they'll just hurt anything. And you can tell mm-hmm. they want their whole pack to be where they are and know where they are at all times. You know, he goes mm-hmm. from room to room if we're in separate rooms, just, okay, you're both here. I can lay down now. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really yeah, funny. Independent, independent, smart dogs. Mm-hmm. But it is amazing how the dogs will, you know, how they can maintain some of that behavior, even though, you know, I doubt his parents weren't herders. So it's not like he learned it from them. So and he was he was born in foster. Yeah. He was oh. born in foster, so he doesn't you know, all he knows is he was there for a little bit and then he came with us. <laughs> right. Oh cool. So now yeah. what else would you like the public to know before we go? Well, uh you know, it's so important to help rescues, existing rescues who are always looking for any, any number of ways you can help them. So whether it's through donating financially, uh, it's fostering, it's sharing um, postings on social media, very, very powerful way of helping rescues. Um, that way, more people can see the animals. And we have found lots of good homes that way, where whereas even though Adopt-A-Pet, um, you know, has many many people check out postings. There's so many animals, you know, this way, somebody knows somebody who's looking for this kind of dog. They share the posting and there you go. We've found a good home for that, for that dog or puppy. So sharing is very important. Um, It's a very powerful method of getting the dogs out there. Um, And, you know, uh, pledging, as I said, pledging, fostering, sharing, um, Volunteering. Um, we recently had a volunteer uh, surface uh, who, as it turned out, has a business background and an admin background. And she's actually been on some reality TV shows and she's a real go getter businesswoman. And so she's been helping us just out of the goodness of her heart. She, uh, she asked how we, she could help us. And I said, Well, I need admin help. And so she's already helped us just in the last month or so by developing some new uh, admin protocols and systems that are helping us a lot. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and and you probably don't even you know people don't even think about 
you needing that kind of help. They think of fostering the dogs or transporting and they forget that you need all the back of house type stuff done too. Yeah. Yeah. My, my treasurer and I were talking about that the other day, Sue's our treasurer and our on the board. And she's, we were talking about how, you know, there's, we're like little moles underneath the ground, all these, these little jobs that are being done to help things go. Yep, for sure. Well, Barbette, thank you so much for joining me today. And of course. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we will share your um, website and all your social media things on the uh, episode notes. So everybody be on the lookout for that. And uh, we, I hope you have a wonderful day. And I'm sure we'll talk soon. Okay. Keep calm, keep calm and rescue on. Yep, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Uh, bye-bye, Ken. seeing cute photos of pets and connecting with other pet parents and businesses in Portland, let's continue the conversation in our Facebook group. I would love to hear about your pets, answer your questions, and get suggestions for what you want to hear on the podcast. I'll see you in the PDX Pet Connection Facebook group.